0: welcome to the word encounter episode 187 we are in the book of matthew chapter 20 let's get right to it it says the parable of the vineyard workers first one for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard after agreeing with the workers on a den- on one denarius he sent them into the vineyard for the day and so the, um, the vineyard owner goes out. He sees guys standing around doing nothing. He needs to hire them for a day. So they agree on the price of one denarius, which is a typical day's wage, uh, according to my understanding. Then it says, when he went out about nine in the morning, he saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He said to them also, you know, go to my vineyard and work and I'll give you whatever is right. So they went off. He went out again at noon. He went at three. And he went at five and he did the same thing with the guy standing around. He said, go out, work in my vineyard and I'll I gi- I'll give you what is right. And then it says uh, uh, in verse eight, it says, when evening came, the owner of the vineyard told his foreman, call the workers and give them their pay, starting with the last ending with the first. And so the last ones to go out were at five and I, uh, he calls the uh, foreman in probably around six o'clock ish. And so the guys that went out at five only worked for one hour. So he says, call the guys who went out last first, pay them first, and then go in reverse order. Then call in the guys that went out, uh, that, that went out at three, call the guys that went out at noon and nine, and then at the crack of dawn, which I'm assuming is probably around six in the morning. It says, when those were hired, uh, about five came in, they each received one denarius. So when the first ones came, they assumed that they would get more but they were also paid one denarius. And so the the guys that went in, went out to the field at five, they got paid one denarius. So when the guys, when it got to the guys that went out first at about six in the morning, they came in, they knew that the other guys, what they were getting paid. So they assumed that they would get more because they worked all day. Right. It sounds fair to me. (laughs) It says, uh, when they received it, they began to complain to the landowner. Since says, these last men put in one hour, and you made them equal to us who bore the burden of the day's work and the, uh, and the burning heat. They said, look, we've been out here all day long. It's been hot. The sun's been beating down on us. And these guys have been out here one, one hour after the sun was going down, and they get one denarius, and you're going to pay us one denarius? Boss, that doesn't sound right. That doesn't sound right. And honestly, to me, it doesn't sound right either, but... The landowner replied, friend, I'm, I'm doing you no wrong. Didn't you agree with me on one denarius? Well, yeah, they did. He says, um, take what's yours and go. I want to give this last man the same as I gave you. And then here's the key question the landowner asked the guys who went out first. Don't I have the right to do what I want with what is mine? The landowner said, look, It's my money. I can pay whoever, whatever I want to pay them. What is it of your business? You agreed with me on the price. You agreed with me on the work. And so you, you did it. And I fulfilled our agreement because you became aware of this other stuff. Why should that be of concern to you? See, we do this a lot. We look around at what other people do or what other people get. And then we get upset when we've agreed to what we're doing. We didn't have to agree. Those first guys didn't have to agree, but they did. And then they they just became angry because the others got the same. Now, what if the others got a portion of what they got? Then they they still would have had the same pay. They still would have had one denarius, but they would have felt better. It says, are you jealous because I'm generous? (laughs) Mm. The third prediction of his death. So so then Jesus goes on as he's walking along with the disciples and he's telling them for the third time what's going to happen to him. You know, he says he's going to be handed over to the Gentiles to be mocked, flogged and crucified. And on the third day, he's going to be raised. See, so he's telling them, you know, that he's going to be handed over to the scribes and the Pharisees and the chief priests and what they're going to do to him. So he's telling them again. So this is in between all of these miracles and parables and whatnot. He keeps reminding them. This is what's coming. This is what's coming. Suffering and service. Verse 20. It says, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons, so that's John and James, uh, their mother, approached Jesus with her sons. She knelt down and asked for something. Jesus says, What do you want? Promise, she said to him, that these two sons of mine may sit one on your right, the other on your left, in your kingdom. And so... The mother is asking for a favor from Jesus to make sure that her her boys are taken care of, that her boys are prominent in his kingdom. Now, I'm sure she doesn't understand what kind of kingdom Jesus has come to represent, but I think she's thinking of the typical kingdom that was in existence at that time, that he would be a king, that her sons would be his advisors, and they would be prominent in this new kingdom. So Jesus answered her. He says, you don't know what you're asking. <laughs> he said, you have no idea what you're asking. He says, are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? So he turns to James and John and asks them, are you able to do this? And they say, we are able. Again, they don't have a clue as to what they're agreeing to. Or they don't have a clue as to what they're about to encounter. And Jesus told them, you will indeed drink my cup. I mean, if I had been them, I would been like, what, what does that mean, man? That sounds kind of, you know, that sounds kind of creepy. You know, that sounds, that doesn't sound good. It says, but to sit at my right and left is not mine to give. Instead, it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. So he's telling them, you're going to drink my cup, but I can't promise you where you're going to, you know, what position you're going to be in, in the kingdom. That's up to my father. Verse 24. When the 10 disciples heard this, you can imagine what their reaction is, right? So their mother, their mother's coming along saying, you know, take care of my boys. And so what the disciples, the other disciples are hearing is that they're going to be over them. That's what they hear, you know, that they want to be their superior. James and John, that is. he says, they became in, indignant with the two brothers. That would have been me too, honestly. It says, Jesus called him over and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those in high positions act as tyrants over them. And so Jesus is just confirming what they already believe. Like, when you're a superior, you lord over those under you, right? And you, uh, in the day, they were tyrants, over the ones that were inferior to them. So I'm sure that's what the the disciples are thinking with regard to James and John being over them. So Jesus is just confirming, you know, you know, this is how the world does it, but he goes on. He says, but it must not be like that among you. He says, on the contrary, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, this had to be just a radical concept. Jesus is, uh, Jesus is saying, look, you're thinking of, of leaders and leadership in this way, that if I'm a leader, I have my uh, subservient people here and they do whatever I tell them to do. I boss them around. I'm their dictator. I'm their tyrant. They do whatever I say because I'm a person of, of, of privilege and prestige. So that's what they're saying. Jesus is saying, uh-uh, that's not the way this thing works. If you want to be great in this kingdom, if you are eligible to be a leader in this kingdom, then you will be a slave to the people who are under you. <laughs> that's backwards thinking, right? He says, no, 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 you're going to serve those people who are under you. Who are under your leadership. See, that's the only way you become eligible to be a leader in this kingdom is that you serve the ones who are beneath you. Because I came to serve you. You might not recognize this yet, but I came to serve you. And not only did I come to serve you, I am going to die for you. You see, so Jesus is laying it out there. He's telling them what the deal is going to be. But they don't quite know it yet, but they will very shortly understand what it is he's talking about. So he's, re, he's, re, um, he's re-educating them on, on what it is and what it means to be um, a leader. Because they're thinking of man's system. Two blind men healed. Verse 30, there were two blind men sitting by the road. When they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us a son, uh, son of David. The crowd demanded that they keep quiet. Now, see, 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 here's another thing. Whenever somebody is being persistent with regard to getting Jesus' uh, attention, either the crowd or the disciples try to hush them, try to silence them, try to usher them away, try to get them away, right? Because you're, you're disturbing the prophet, right? <laughs> and Jesus is, they, see, they're, they're not understanding Jesus' mission. It says the crowd demanded that they keep quiet, but what was the two men's response? But they cried out all the more. So the crowd tried to silence them, and they got even more indignant. They got louder, they got more persistent. Lord have mercy on us, son of David. You know? Verse 32, Jesus stopped, called them, and said, what do you want me to do for you? You see, everybody's trying to sh- shush them and get them away and Jesus is like, wait a minute, what do you want? You got my attention, what do you want? They say, Lord, They said to him, open our eyes. Isn't that an interesting, (laughs) I need to highlight that. Let me highlight that. Open our eyes. This is kind of a parallel meaning, right? They're blind, so they want to see physically, but Jesus knows that they're also blind spiritually. So they're crying out, Lord, open our eyes. Open our eyes. That's a cry that needs to be embedded in our brain. Lord, open my eyes. Allow me to see this thing, this event, this occurrence, this person, this whatever, this relationship, this situation, whatever. Allow me to see it as you see it, Lord. Open my eyes. Because I have a feeling that I'm seeing this wrong. So open my eyes. Verse 34, moved with compassion. Jesus touched their eyes. Immediately they could see and they followed him. So I have to believe that Jesus opened their physical eyes so that they could see. And he also opened their spiritual eyes and then they followed. Chapter 21, it says the triumphal entry. So Jesus is about to make his entrance into Jerusalem. It says, when they approached Jerusalem, Jesus and his disciples and his followers, and came to Bethpage uh, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, telling them, go into the village ahead of you. At once you will find a donkey tied there with with her colt. Untie them and bring them to me. And so that's what they did. I said this took place so that uh, what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. Tell daughter Zion, see your kingdom, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, a foal of a, the foal of a donkey. And so we see that this is being uh, that this event. Uh, which is in Zechariah, this prophecy in Zechariah 9.9 is being fulfilled here. And so as you can see, I try to point out every time uh, that an Old Testament scripture is being fulfilled so that we can see that Jesus in his coming is fulfilling what has been prophesied four, five, six, seven hundred years previously. And so he's coming and he's fulfilling these prophets, right? These prophets prophecies, be it Isaiah, Zechariah, Hosea, whoever. They spoke it hundreds of years previously. Jesus comes, and now he's fulfilling the things that they said. Then it says, the disciples went and did just as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey. Oh, yeah, the disciples went and um, did just as Jesus directed them. It says in verse 9, then the crowds who went ahead of him and those who followed shouted, Hosanna. Hosanna was, is a, was a proclamation of praise and honor, worship. You know, so they're saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Uh, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. In verse 10, when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in an uproar, saying, who is this? So when Jesus came in, it was not a secret. See, previously he had told a lot of people, don't tell anybody about When well, He performed a miracle. he tell them, don't say anything about this. You know, so I think he, was, he, he just didn't want... Um, things to be announced before it's time. But now he's coming in in this fanfare. He's coming into Jerusalem uh, uh, with this fanfare. And so the crowd is saying, who is this? The crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth uh, in Galilee. So this is the prophet Jesus, right? Because they they still don't know, they still don't have a clue. That's the, the crowds. Now remember, Peter said, you know, you are the Messiah, you are the son of God. But the crowds don't know, so they're still thinking he's a rabbi, a teacher, a prophet. Cleansing the temple, verse 12. Jesus went into the temple and threw out all those buying and selling. He overturned the tables of money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. And so Jesus comes in, he looks around, and he sees a place of commerce, not a place of worship. And so he starts getting rid of this stuff. He sees what's going on. He sees the commercial activity as being the main activity of the temple. Now, you go into a typical church, it'll have a bookstore and some other things that they sell. And I think the motivations are what needs to be examined. And motivations come out of the heart. And so are these things in existence to feed to spiritually feed the people or are they in existence to make money? You see? That's the thing. If they exist, if the purpose is to make money, then you are profiting off of the gospel. If the purpose is to feed the people, but you got to cover your costs, that's different. You know. So this, I need to state, this is my opinion. This is what I think. Okay. This is what I think the situation is. <laughs> and so, uh, When we examine motivations, what's the primary driver here? You know, is it to bolster the bottom line or is it to feed the people? And I think if one honestly answers that question, they can determine whether or not they're in violation of profiting off the gospel. In verse 13, he says, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of thieves. You have converted my house into this commercial building and, 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 and not a building uh, that's primary, whose primary function, or only function really, is to uh, be a place of worshiping the God in heaven. See, you got people thinking about, okay, how much money are we going to make this month, this week, this today, or whatever. That's not the purpose of this temple. Children praise Jesus. Verse uh, 14, the blind and lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. So we see that, you know, throughout the New Testament, wherever Jesus goes, he's constantly healing people. And so that tells me that uh, on our journeys through life, wherever we go, we should be healing people. And people need more than just physical healing. As a matter of fact, I go on to say, I believe that that, uh, physical healing is the least. Of the types of healing that most people need. See, most people need number one, spiritual healing. Number two, emotional healing. And then comes physical healing. Because a lot of times you get those two taken care of, the third one will take care of itself. Verse 15 when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonders that he did and the children shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Now let's, uh, let's not get on the chief priests too hard here because from their perspective, they don't know who Jesus is. Right. And so they, they're seeing these little kids saying Hosanna, which is, which is praise, honor, glory, and worship to a man. They're giving this to Jesus, to a man. They see just a man and they said, well, that stuff should be reserved for God Yet these little children are doing this to a man. This is blasphemous. So they became indignant and said to Jesus, do you hear what these children are saying? So they're challenging Jesus. You know, they're treating you like a God. They don't know that he is God, but they're treating you like a God. Jesus replied, yes. Have you never read? So Jesus always comes at the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees with Old Testament prophecies. He says, have you never read, you have prepared praise from the mouths of infants and nursing, and nursing babies, right? And so Jesus tells them, have you never read that? Have you never heard that, essentially? And, and so that is in uh, Psalms 8, chapter 2, or Psalms, Psalms chapter 8, verse 2. And so he is educating them as he's rebuking them. <laughs> you know, the barren fig tree. It says, early in the morning, as he was re- returning to the city, he was hungry. Verse 19, seeing a lone fig tree by the road. So you can imagine they were a little distance away. He sees this fig tree, tree. And so he starts approaching the fig tree because if he sees it from a little distance, the only reason you would approach it is if it looks good from a, dis- uh, from a distance. So it says, seeing a lone fig tree by the road. He went up to it and found nothing on it except leaves. So he went to the tree, he went to a fruit tree, and there was nothing on the tree except leaves. And he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. At once the fig tree withered. Wow. When the disciples saw it, they were amazed and said, how did the fig tree wither so quickly? Jesus answered them, truly, I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt You will not only do what uh, what was done to the fig tree, but even if you tell this mountain be lifted up and thrown into the sea, it will be done. And if you believe you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Now, let's back up. Let's let's unpack this. So Jesus comes up to the fig tree, right? He goes, says that uh, it was early in the morning and he was hungry. So he goes and there's no there's no there's nothing to eat on the tree. It's just leaves. There's no fruit on the tree. And so does he do this out of anger? No, he is making a um, he is making a a pair. is making a a demonstration parable. So he's he's conducting a parable prior to this. All his parables were with words. But this is a demonstration. Okay, he's demonstrating a parable right here. So he comes up to the fig tree and he says, no, uh, no fruit will ever come from you again. So in other words, your purpose as a fig tree was to produce fruit. But as I came to you, there was no fruit. And so you're not doing what you were purposed for. Therefore, shrivel up and die. And so basically what he's saying, and he's, he's directing this. Now, this is a, an example of the, of the, of the chief priests and, and scribes and whatnot. Their purpose was for one thing, but they're not doing it. Therefore, they will shrivel up and die. And they will wither away, and they will never bear my fruit. That's also not just directed at the Pharisees and the scribes, but to all people as we seek to do the Lord's will. You know, we need to be producing fruit, because if we're not producing fruit, then we're not doing what we were created to do. We become useless. And so then Jesus goes on. In, in order to demonstrate to the disciples how important prayer is. So he's, he's, he's making, um, he's trying to get it into their heads that prayer has tangible results, that, that prayer can do tangible things, not just in the heavenlies, but also on earth. So he's trying to show them that all the key is believing and having no doubt. That's the key. So you can say whatever you want to say, but do you have no doubt? Are you sure that you're sure that you're sure that when you pray, what you're praying for will come to be? The authority of Jesus' challenge. So he says, when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him uh, as he was teaching and said, so they came to him as he was teaching. So they interrupted him. So the chief priests and the elders of the people came and interrupted him as he was teaching. He says, by what authority are you doing these things? You know, who gave you this authority? So I can see that they come and in, interrupt him and in front of all of those who are listening to his teaching. They challenge him. And so they challenge him with regard to, you know, the authority. So Jesus says, OK, I got a question for you. He said that John the Baptist came, you know, preaching and, and whatnot. He says, was his word from heaven or was it? originated from man. And then the priests go off and talk to each other. And they say, well, if we say from heaven, he's going to say, well, why didn't you listen to him? (laughs) If we say it was from man, well, the people are going to stone us because they thought that he was a prophet. So they went back and said, well, we don't know. And so Jesus says, well, I'm not going to tell you where I get my authority either. (laughs) But he goes on and continues to talk to him. The parable of two sons. He says to them, what do you think? A man has two sons, Uh, He went to the first one and said, my son, go work in the vineyard today. He said, he answered, I don't want to. So the son says, no, I don't want to. But later the son changed his mind and he went and he started working in the vineyard. Verse 30, uh, then the man went to the other son and said the same thing. I will, sir, he answered, but he never went. And so the second son said, okay, I'll go, dad, but he doesn't go. So Jesus says, which of the two sons did the father's will? And they said, the first Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you. So he's going back to John because they (laughs) because he challenged them with John. For John came to you uh, in the way of righteousness and you didn't believe him. Tax collectors and prostitutes did believe him. But you, when you saw it, didn't even change your minds. So when you saw the tax collectors and the prostitutes go to him, get their lives changed and whatnot, you still didn't believe. The parable of the vineyard owner. And so Jesus keeps going. He says in verse 33 to to the scribes and the elders, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who who planted a vineyard, but put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a watchtower. He leased it to... uh, he leased it to tenant farmers and went away. When the time came to harvest the fruit, he sent his servants to the farmers to collect the fruit. The farmers took his servants, beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. And so he leased his land to other farmers. And when it came time to harvest, the landowners sent people to collect the harvest, and they got killed. And so the landowners sent more people. And the same thing happened to them. So then finally he says, well, look, I'll send my son. They won't do anything to my son. It says, but when the tenant farmers saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. (laughs) That's ruthless. So they seized him, threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. So they killed the landowner's son. So here you have the landowner leasing his land to other farmers so that they can make a living. He's going to collect on the harvest. They're not paying him. And then he sends his son. They kill his son. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those farmers? So the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the elders and scribes say he will completely destroy those terrible men. They told him and lease his vineyard to other farmers who will give him his fruit at the harvest. Yeah, that's what he's going to do. Right. So Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Now, a cornerstone is the stone is the main stone upon which everything is a kind of foundation stone upon which everything else is built something happens to the cornerstone, then the whole building is going to be compromised. This is what the Lord has done. Um, This is what the Lord has done, and it is wonderful in our eyes. And so this is said in in, in Psalms 118, chapter 22 and 23. So again, Jesus is educating them on the Old Testament scriptures and how it's being fulfilled today. It says, uh, Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to the people, given to a people producing its fruit because you, again, you aren't producing fruit. You're like the fig tree. Whoever falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will shatter him. Now, this is critical. So Jesus is saying, whoever falls on this, whoever falls on his sword. So in the old days, you would fall on your sword. You know, to kill yourself. Right. So whoever falls on his sto- uh, on his stone, whoever falls and kills himself, meaning um, denying himself. This is not a physical death, but it's, a, it's the denial of himself. Whoever acknowledges and realizes that they need uh, Jesus, that they need the Lord, whoever vo- voluntarily falls on this on the stone, falls on his own sword he will be broken to pieces. So you need to be broken in order that you can be resurrected, right? He said, but on whoever the stone falls, that person will be shattered. (laughs) That person will be crushed. So you fall on the stone, you're broken, but you're resurrected in the Lord. You don't fall on the stone, you stay arrogant, then the stone will fall on you and you will be shattered. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard this, they knew he was speaking about them. And with that, we are done for the day. Uh, We will pick it up in Matthew chapter 22 tomorrow. Remember, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, the word says that you will be saved and you will not be put to shame. And with that, we'll see you all tomorrow. Stay safe. Be blessed. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Bye bye.